Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. My name is Debbie. I am a food addict and compulsive overeater. I often call myself a food addict because I always think of myself as somebody that went beyond the stage of just a compulsive overeater, but um, nonetheless, I'm both. So, um, so one thing I've, so I'm in program since August of 1984, 38 and a half years. It's unbelievable. So it's been a huge part of my life, obviously. And um, one thing that I've learned is that for me, food was not the problem, but the solution, because my real problem was all those feelings that I didn't know how to deal with whatsoever and used food, by the way, combined with television to completely block my feelings. And that I was, I'm a retired teacher and I come home and eat everything that didn't move. And then a few things that might have. So, um, so overeating has just defined my life, unfortunately. Um, so my first memory of being an overeater is when I was five. My sister, unfortunately, has schizophrenia, and she was difficult from the minute she arrived. And my poor parents did the best they could. But I always describe what happened to the attention that I received at, com- compared to this Dyson vacuum cleaner that we have that just sucks all the air out of the room. And, you know... So I was turning to food right away at the age of five um, for comfort. And I remember uh, at reason I know it's five because I was still living in this particular house and I went into the refrigerator and was able to reach this Hebrew national salami vacuum sealed. And, and I remember trying, I still remember trying to get a bite out of it with my little baby teeth. And then I couldn't, and I put it back in the refrigerator. And my mother said later, did you do this? Now, there's just me and a baby and my parents. And I said, no. So I was lying about my food at the age of five. So I was already, that's my first memory of overeating. And believe me, it just continued. And um, and my biggest uh, process of trying to lose weight, well, as a, the age of 12, my mother sent me to one of those pay and weigh programs that I went to many, many times. And, um, so, you know, it was typical for me to, um, to, well, I remember early in 12 being on this food plan so religiously and losing a quarter pound a week. It happened like so many times in a row and I was heartbroken and I was, and to this day, I'm influenced by the way I ate. People say, wanted you to have four glasses of non-fat powdered milk because light and lively hadn't been invented yet. And I used to hold my nose to try and drink it. So I'd add a little coffee. So this day I drink the lightest coffee, the weakest coffee anybody has ever seen. But, um, and they wanted us to eat all kinds of crappy food and I didn't lose weight and it was just hard. The one time I remember being very successful in at one point and getting down to actually about what I weigh now 
which um, was very, very thin in my thinking. And that's about when I met my first husband. And we were married for, um, I guess we were together about 15 years. And the whole time, when, well, of course, I didn't stay there because I stopped going. There were no meetings where, you know, you checked in, no support once I lost the weight. And I started to be influenced about the way he ate and gradually gained it back. And I got up to, I know how I went, what I weighed at every part of my life because weighing myself was a big part of my addiction too. So I got up to about like, I don't know, like 155, 160. And he pestered me about losing back the weight to get back to like the low 130s, which is where I am now forever. And I was desperate to do the same. And it didn't occur to me that there was a pro- something wrong if he was focused on the size of my body in that marriage. But nonetheless, that was the focus. And I had heard about OA one time. I was out to lunch with, with a couple, with a friend and her friend that I didn't know that well. And she mentioned it. And I said, Oh, I don't need that. I go to this other program. And so. As I said, in August of 84 was one of these moments when I was just desperate to find something to do. And I called up OA. There were no phone meetings, um, you know, no Zoom. No, just I had to go to this meeting. It was about a half hour away. And there were about 100 people there. But it was so amazing to me. First of all, I had already done a little bit of therapy. And the main speaker spoke on anger. And I thought, wow, these people understand, you know, I already understood that some something was wrong with how I was dealing with my feelings. And um, then the other thing is, so I was, I'm Jewish and never was brought up to learn any kind of praying whatsoever. I was, I didn't go to Hebrew school, but I kind of knew half of the Lord's prayer. And my, my thinking was, please, God, Help me lose weight and I'll stay there. But of course, I didn't want to change how I was eating. But I kind of knew half of the Lord's Prayer. So, and that's how they ended the meeting. Now, they don't do that anymore around here in the Philadelphia area. They don't end with the Lord's Prayer. But I thought, oh, my God, my prayer. (laughs) So, So it was just very moving to me from the beginning. And I have to say, I wish I could say, like, Certain people I know at this meeting who were struck abstinent, that didn't happen to me. I've had many, many years of trying all kinds of things, and I've had many relapses. But um, but I never, ever, ever considered stop going, to stop going, because it's the – so the thing with OA, it's the only thing I have ever done in my life where when I lose weight, it stays off. You know, the fact that I have one size, well, right now I wear a six or an eight. It's only because of the manufacturer being different, not because my body goes up and down, up and down, up and down. I used to have four major different sizes. And then, you know, some of them were too tight because I wasn't willing to buy new clothes that fit because I was sure I was going to lose weight. So a lifetime of every season wondering if my clothes were going to fit. And I now I can pack for a trip and not try them on. I know my clothes are going to fit. It's a miracle. Anyway, so so um so somebody else has saw 
talk about some major turning points in my years in OA. One was a lot of people came back from this particular treatment center, and I'm not trying to talk about treatment centers exactly, but it's a big part of my story. In 1989, a lot of people were coming back to the Philadelphia area, and I saw that they were just different. And they came back from this place that was in Florida, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to try that too. And that was the first time I got the food plant that I am still on to this day. And it's no sugar, no flour. Now, I never thought I had a problem with bread, but when I stopped eating things with flour, it was such a help to me that I couldn't believe it. And it's also the first time I was taught to weigh and measure my food. Now, I'm not telling people to do this, by the way. I know I even sponsor somebody that doesn't have to do this, but I do. And I find when I put the food on the scale and I always have one, a a small portable one in my purse, I always have one with me. When I put the food on that scale, it feels like freedom. Because I'll tell you what, to this day, if I don't have that scale with me, what I do now is I ask somebody else to tell me how much to eat. because. My mom, you know, people say to me, after all these years, don't you know how much is three ounces? And you know what? I can guess, but I'm often wrong. And, but the thing is, my head doesn't shut up. I think, oh, I ate too much. I didn't eat enough. I mean, it just doesn't shut up. So I'm not cured of my obsessive disease whatsoever. The fact that I'm abstinent is a miracle, but That scale keeps my mind quiet. So if anybody can relate to that, you know, try the scale. And I never fail in a restaurant. I do it too. I was just recently on a cruise and I'm in touch more with my powerlessness on a cruise than anywhere because I know if I had one bite of some dessert, I'd walk, I would be waddling off that ship instead of walking off. So it really keeps me. So I've never had a problem on a cruise. In fact, I lost a pound and a half the last time. But um, I weigh and measure in front of people. And it can be very embarrassing. I'm the last one that starts to eat. And then when I eat, I eat 11 or 12 ounces of vegetables, depending on the meat, that takes a long time to chew. <laughs> so, so if I'm with other people, they just have to wait, you know, or, or not. But I take a long time. So one turning point then was getting that food plan. And it's just... Somebody once, a nutritionist once said to me, a food plan should be comfortable, like a worn, like a well-used pair of shoes that are just comfortable. And my food plan is just comfortable. And the only major change I've had to make over the years is to add a snack because I have low blood sugar and I couldn't make it from lunch to dinner without getting sick. So I, and I eat five times a day. I eat my breakfast. I eat lunch. I eat three, around three o'clock. I eat dinner. And then I eat before I go to bed where I, and, um, and by the way, these people that say you can't lose weight if you eat before you go to bed. Well, I have lost all my weight. I'm maintaining a 75 pound weight loss by eating right before I go to bed, not the minute before, you know, but around that time. Um, another big turning point for me was when I, before, well, after that, but before, long time ago, I mean, you know, I'm in the program so many years, I don't even know how many years it was, but I went to a Joe and Charlie workshop and there I got forms to do step four. Now I had tried so many ways. And for me, reading the big book, no matter how many times I tried before that, it was like reading 
another Greek, another language. I couldn't quite get it in my head. And um, they gave us out these forms. And what happened was different on step four than anything else I had ever tried was the column where you look at your part. Where was I selfish, dishonest, resentful, fearful? And I'll tell you when I, and I've done the steps many times. When I look at my part, I have had experiences where I physically felt the resentment lift. So that was a huge turning point for me. Um, another big turning point was in 2014. And I know the year of that because she had me write in the big book every time I finished a chapter, read with Laura in 2014 and the date. And that's what I do with my sponsees today when every time we finish a chapter and, um, so in all those years, from 84 to 2014, you do the math. The only experience I had with the big book was going to a meeting and hear a paragraph here, a paragraph there, um, no continuity. And I didn't, I missed the point. I didn't understand what this program was about. And my understanding today is that I am here on earth and in the program for two reasons, to be of service to others and to get a closer relationship with my higher power. As a matter of fact, the part I was reading with my sponsee this morning was about getting that relationship with a higher power. And, um, you know, it was an amazing. Excuse me, I have five minutes left. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, another turning point was finding out about these meetings called a vision for you. Um, and I don't go to the meetings. There are seven to nine, Monday through Friday, and then Sunday. I don't go, but I listen to the recordings, especially what's called their special editions. If you go to that website, um, I use those when I sponsor. I use those all the time. I listen to them. I find them wonderful. And what I love about them is I'll listen while I'm doing other things, like on the elliptical in the morning. But if I do a half hour, I can go right back and pick it up where I left off. And I find those very inspiring. Um, so, so yeah, that's the end of my notes, but let me think what else. Oh, okay. So, so some of the miracles for me, one of them is that, so I'm married to somebody now, second marriage to somebody that's not a compulsive overeater. My, my kitchen is covered with things like, well, I won't name them all, but all these binge foods for me. But I have to tell you, and I'm not sure exactly when this happened. It wasn't always like this at all. But now I can go in that kitchen. It's been quite a while. And I hardly see that stuff. And that is amazing. When we were first dating, I got him a lockbox and I had one for my house. And I had him put all his junk food in the lockbox. Of course, every once in a while, he'd forget to lock it. And then I'd say, okay, you know what? You have to. In the morning, say, I think you have to replace such and such because I finished it last night. So, so today it, I guess I just would describe it as neutrality around food. And, but I have to say this too, that if I had, if I make a decision to have one little extra thing, like a, a carrot, it sets me off and I can't do that. But so the what, the reason I have this neutrality food is I just, I'm very careful about what I eat, how much I eat, the weighing and measuring. And also because I do service. I like to sponsor people. I was feeling lonely a couple of months ago. 
And so I made a point of getting more sponsees. I sponsor five people, but three of them I don't have to talk to often. We text, we talk once in a while, unless they're having a problem. And two, I'm taking through the big book right now and through the steps at the same time. Um, So I don't feel lonely today. You know, I've been asked to speak lately, you know, which is wonderful. And um, I I went to an intergroup meeting tonight. I have to tell you, I'm not going to be back to that intergroup. It's one service that I don't enjoy. (laughs) But I thought, okay, let me try that service. I find service has gotten rid of that loneliness that I was feeling. And um, the only other thing I want to mention is how important it is to my program to work step 10, um, to constantly watch for where I am disturbed, whether it being fear or resentment or the dishonesty is the lying I do to myself. I have a neighbor who triggers me all the time because we don't have the same values. We don't do the same things. And I'll feel resentful and I'll look at that list and I'll remember, oh, selfish, because she's not doing things my way. And guess what? It goes away pretty quickly because, you know, it's a good thing I'm not running the world, but my resentment is triggered a lot by the fact that I don't. So I guess that's about time. Um, I'm just beyond grateful to OA. It's just a huge part of my life today. It takes up a huge part of my time. but. Um, I do these workshops now. I just finished a six month thing where I did the steps, um, with somebody and now I'm started again with this woman from Australia. Um, I find the steps, I find all the answers I need in the big book and working the steps. And I'm just really grateful to be here. And, um, and I hope you got a little something out of it. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own. I'm glad that that's there. And not those of overeaters as a whole. By the way, I just want to repeat, I'm not pushing anybody to do things my way. It's just what worked for me. All right. We have Melissa. Melissa. Uh, Thank you so much for your share. I really related to it. It was lovely. Um, Can you share with us what your daily spiritual routine looks like? Thanks. My daily spiritual what? Routine. Oh, okay. So, so this, I don't know if this is a spiritual routine or not, but I get up in the morning and the first thing I do is I work out. We have an elliptical at home. I try and increase the time on that. And then for some reason that puts me in the mood to meditate. And so then I go into another room and I do my meditation. Um, I often use insight timer guided meditations. Sometimes it's just silent. And, um, you know what? I should read my third step prayer. So in one of these step studies I did, um, I rewrote the third step prayer. So just give me one moment, please. I'd like to read that. Um, you know what? I'm having a little trouble remembering what the, oh, wait a second. There it was. Okay. So, and I say this prayer, um, dear divine companion, please be the loving father. I have always wanted nurture me in the warmth of your loving care. Please remove my limiting blind spots so that I may continue our journey. Grace me with humility, willingness, courage, and focus to stay connected to you, dear God. 
I am now ready to turn my will and my life over to your loving care. God, I ask that you be my director and guide me through each moment of this day as you reveal your will to me. Help me hear that small voice that tells me your will. Take away my fears and any difficulties that stand in the way of my being of maximum service to you and those that surround me. Thank you for wrapping me in your loving arms. And under your care and protection, I have everything I could possibly need. So that's my morning. And then I have two sponsees right after that. And then I have breakfast and often attend a meeting. Um, other than that, um, I just watch, as I said, for when I'm disturbed through the day. And I don't just sit with it. I take it right away to, well, first to God. And I say the fear prayer a lot. That's my, I think my favorite pr- prayer. Please, God, remove my fear of blank and show me what you would have me be. I'm a cancer survivor. And, you know, I got through it um, without having to relapse. And um, and I'm actually a walking miracle. I had ovarian cancer advanced 10 years ago. And here I still am. And that's not common. That's not common. Um, so... One thing I did do for a while was I did the uh, review questions every night with somebody. I'm not currently doing it with anybody, you know, the ones that are in step 11. Um, But I do glance at that. And I just try and keep God present in my thinking and my heart through the day. Okay, that's my answer. Thanks, Deb. Irene is up next and Joanna B. after her. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for your share. Um, I love hearing about the, um, those, you know, those, those little, uh, vaults where you can hide things. And I think it's such a great idea. Um, so, sorry, the um, little what? You said, you said you, um, put like the, um, the junk food in like a little place where you, where you like, uh, you oh, the open it up. oh, I don't yeah. do that anymore. Now I don't have to. No. Oh, I, okay. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm going to try that. Maybe it'll be helpful for me since I'm at the beginning. Okay. Um, I appreciated everything that you said, and I related to so much of what you said. I am new to OA about a month in. Um, I have a sponsor that I adore that actually recommended this particular meeting, and I'm glad that she did. Um, so I have a question for our speaker. Yes. Um, how long did it take before, um, you were able to abide by the, um, the three meal, you said you had three meals a day, correct? No, I eat five, five meals a day. So how, how, how long was it before you were able to really, oh, and you said you had a start and a stop. I love that. How long did it take before you were able to really like stick to that? Not quickly. So I was in program from 1984 to 89, trying all kinds of different food plans. I remember I was on a gray sheet food plan for a while where there were no carbs. And then I went on a trip and I was never able to get back on that. I tried all kinds of things. And that's what finally sent me to that hospital down in Florida. And then that was the turning point, but I, and I will say this. So I, I mentioned having relapses, but I've never had one where I put all my weight back and I want to just share one secret to you. Um, and any, 
Irene, especially in anybody. And that is any time I went off my food plan, um, no matter what it was I ate, no matter how much I was sure in my head I wasn't going to tell anybody, somehow sanity would rem- would come back in the morning. And if I could make any suggestion to anybody in this room, I immediately would call my sponsor and tell on myself. And for some reason, I've been willing to do that all these years. And so my relapses have been like one day, maybe two at the most ever, all these years. And I'm telling you, it's because I tell on myself. And somehow that puts an end to it. Um you know, if I if I wanted to keep it to myself, it's because I wanted to keep eating. And like I said, I wake up thinking, "What are you crazy?" And <laughs> tell <laughs> myself, and it stops. So I don't. I can't tell you none of it. The first five years, more than like a few weeks. And you know, the other thing was I was eating things that um made me hungrier. That I mentioned I, I gave up later on. That I didn't even realize was a problem. So. You know, take a look at your food if you're having trouble with your help of your sponsor. Thank you so much. I appreciate your tips. Hey, Joanna. B is up and then Rebecca asked for her. Hi, this is Joanna, grateful compulsive overeater in England. Hi, Thank you for your share. Uh, my question is, although I think you might have just answered part of it, um, what tips do you have for the early days coming out of relapse? Thank you. Okay, so... So besides telling on yourself, on page 36 in the big book is the story of Jim, who owned an automobile uh, establishment selling cars, and then um, somehow lost it. And he talks about, he's the one that went into a bar and had whiskey and decided, I mean, had milk and decided, you know, why don't I put a little bit of whiskey in it? And then he did more and more. Well, the way that's written on that page where he goes back and talks about his upset that came before he did that. And then it says, suddenly I had this thought. Well, guess what? Whenever we pick up, it's not suddenly. Something has been going on before you get there. And so one of the things that I learned to do is what what I call a slip inventory. With my sponsees, we turn to that page 36 as an example of how to do it, writing down what what was going on emotionally in your thinking, in your feeling before that. And of course, the thoughts come followed by the feelings and really write it out. And then as you know, as you're looking at the food, what's going on? So my tip is telling on yourself and doing these slip inventories. I have learned so much over the years about what triggered what was going on. Why did I put that extra food in my mouth? What was really going on? And it's been a huge thing. What other tips? Um, I guess those are the main major ones that come to mind. And go to, you know, go to meetings, do service. Service is very slimming. Rebecca. Thank you. Hi, thanks. Um, Rebecca Compulsive Beater. So nice to hear you. I just wanted to hear what are some of the ways that you first work with somebody when you're like, bringing in a new sponsee, especially around, I think you mentioned, you know, somebody who doesn't have the same exact meal plan or needs to their abstinence. So when you deal with that kind of dissonance um, or, or unwillingness, 
you know, how do you first bring people on? What do they have to do to work with you? And then how do you work with that? Um, so, I have, so first of all, the first thing I will ask somebody is, do you have a food plan that has worked for you? And what I mean by that, have you ever had a period of abstinence with the food, this food plan? Is it some, and right now you're not perhaps, um, or maybe you are absent. I'm working with somebody taking her through the steps. She's been absent for two years and she's a new sponsee. I don't require people to do what I do. I have a sponsee who can eat flour products like pasta and, and not weigh and measure. And somehow for two, well, I had a huge gift at the beginning of the pandemic, which was somebody asked me to sponsor them. And I had a lot of time to spend with her. And I know she's being honest with me and she sends me what she's going to eat every day and a gratitude list. And, um, and that's another thing that I do with sponsees. They send me what they're going to eat, but I don't have a problem. If somebody changes like chicken to the fish, you know, as long as they're sticking with the amount that they tell me, but I find it's a helpful planning thing. And I do that with my sponsor, but so, and if they don't have a food plan that works, they, they can go to a nutritionist as long as they find one though, that understands that, you know, just eating moderately doesn't work for the average person that's willing to come to OA. Um, and sometimes they want to know what I do, and then I give them my food plan. Um, but I don't require that. I really don't. Um, and I don't require that they weigh and measure in restaurants like I do. I mean, really, I know a lot of people that don't need to do that. I need to. And I have proven to myself what those slip inventories too many times. So that's where my problem began. So, um, but what I do is I take them through the big book. I have a list of special editions for, that match the different steps. Um, I ask them to, my favorite one to start with is one from November of 2016. It's something like when I can't stop, when I can't start and I can't stop. I don't know how the exact wording of it. But it's November 13th, 2016. And it, the first person talks about what is really the problem. And then the second speaker talks about the solution and the solution problem primarily being the steps. And, um, and I ask them to take notes while they listen, just, you know, not rush through it, but if they hear something that really stands out to them to write it down. And then we talk about that while we go through the big book, uh, start with the doctor's opinion. We do a lot of sharing. You know, my favorite paragraph is where it talks about being restless, irritable, and discontent. And that was, that was me 24 seven, always restless, irritable, and discontented about something and, um, not knowing how to deal with it and looking for what it talks about that ease and comfort that comes with the first bite. So we just share, you know, as we're reading it. Um, it's not just reading. We're talking about how do you relate to this? What happened to me? And I share too. And um, we go through, and then we, as, so the first course, we're working on the first step first by doing these podcasts, by reading, but nothing special beyond that. And then um, when, as, when I feel somebody is really getting it and needs to turn to a, has the openness to turn to a higher power, I start to assign podcast on step two and um we read we agnostics in the big book and when we get to how it works then i move on to those forms that i mentioned to you that i got many many years ago on the step work so 
that's what I do. And I work with somebody a half hour every day. Um, we stick strictly to that so that I can have time to do more than one person. Um, that's it. I just use the big book. That's my guide. Okay. You got Carolyn, Carolyn C up next. You mentioned a slip inventory. What is that? Okay. So a slip inventory was something that I was taught to do. It's to track back. Okay. Let's say I just had a binge. What caused it? So I track back before the first bite and I start writing what was going on before that. Um, what was I thinking? What was I feeling? You know, when some, a lot of times mine has started with, I wasn't willing to weigh and measure, you know, which is why I have to do it, but you know, whatever it is tracking back. So it's tracking back where it actually began before I put any food in my mouth. That's what it is. And then going through the whole thing and where was God along the way? What was I thinking, feeling, and where was God and just tracking that back? That's a slip inventory. 